some uh, some 14 wire hooked up on a 20 amp breaker instead of a 15 amp breaker. If anything, you just put it back to a 15 amp breaker. That's the wires ran for all your plugs and your lights. And your I'm Clifford Gray. I live in Mesa, Arizona. I'm 67 years old. I've uh, basically worked my whole life as a contractor. And growing up, my dad died at the age of uh, 34, so I never really thought much about living much longer than that. <laughs> but uh, I is working and stuff. I mean, I've always put a lot of trust in God, figured that, hey, he takes care of the birds, he can take care of me, and I, I just did what I had to do to live. And uh, I've always made good money. We've never missed a meal. And uh, I've never really worried about money because I figured, uh, you know, Social Security will pay me 40000 a year with my wife and I, and I'd always be able to work and make whatever I needed to make. And I never really thought about ever not being able to keep up with everybody. But as time goes on, these last few years, I've noticed a, a drop off in here for remembering things and also physically, I can't do what I used to do. I used to do a patio in a day with just anybody helping me and now it's a two-day job and so I, I looking back on it I wish I would have saved more because you know at this point in my life I could go on an LDS mission with my wife now if I had the funds put away but we don't. Unfortunately Clifford's situation is not uncommon. Many retirement age individuals are not able to do the things they want to do because they don't have enough money. Many look back and wish they had saved more, that they had put more money away. This group of individuals, age 65 and older, represent 15% of the population in America. About 85% of those individuals are currently receiving Social Security benefits, providing an average income of about $17,500 per year. Two-thirds of those individuals have some amount of money saved for retirement. However, the median income from those savings is less than $1,754 per year. The research is clear. The income provided by Social Security and retirement savings is not enough. Wasn't retirement supposed to be the golden years of travel, pleasure, and enjoying the things you worked so hard for? And yet, the reality is, millions of Americans are not living the life in retirement they hoped for. Why? The 401k is the retirement plan. The average 401k was worth 104000 in the second quarter. That's up 6% from a year ago. That's a good number. That they're saving right now, that, that it really won't last them through their retirement. The fact is that the typical 401k investor is a financial novice. They don't know a stock from a lot. What are the generally the quality of the mutual funds in 401k plans? Mediocre. I feel like... You know, people just put their money in that 401k and they don't necessarily look at it and they don't necessarily really know what the plan is inv invested in. And expected to retire at a certain time and found their 401ks cut in half in 2008. The average numbers are wildly different by age. And early 50s, $155,700. So the retirement industry is a challenging one right now, I think, because 
there's an influx of products and financial professionals, but there's a lack of education. So many of us in, in America, we go to work and we're told that there's a retirement option. We get a 401k plan, we pick our color spectrum of, of risk, and, and then we allocate to funds that more often than not, we have no idea what they are, how they perform. Um, there's very little advice in those, those environments as well. So more often than not, I think that, that the challenge we face as Americans today is that we have a lot of choices, but no one's telling us how they compare to one another or, or what the choices uh, or what choices should be considered by an individual that's say 20 years old compared to somebody that's 62 years old and about to retire. Having spent nearly a decade in the financial services industry at Vanguard, I'd say 30% or less of the people I spoke to actually understood their investment options and how the choices they made would affect their ability to reach their financial goals. Again, these ideas become more complicated. Uh, they're always trying to, to one-up each other, so to speak, in terms of who's got the shinier object for retirement. But again, the challenge there is there's no education. Back in the 1920s, there was a guy named George Clayson, and he wrote a book called The Richest Man in Babylon. And I believe that book is revolutionary. It was revolutionary at the time because it made the concepts of money extremely simple, if you understand these few things. And his thing was pay yourself first. You have to be willing to put money aside first not last, because we're always taught to pay ourselves last. But George Clayson came out and said, no, it's pay yourself first. Then you live on everything else. And so that was one of the first steps of the evolution of money. Then Albert Einstein came into the picture. Albert Einstein was you know, out there quite famous in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. And he really, really went heavily on compound interest. Albert Einstein said, compound interest is the greatest mathematical discovery of all time. The eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it and he who doesn't pays it. And what compound interest is, is money working by itself for you. It is growing with or without your help. And so with the pay yourself first, where do you put your money? Compound interest. That was the evolution. The next step is that's where you put your money. So in 1975, there was a guy named John Bogle, and he's the founder of Vanguard. And John Bogle had the idea that what if you were just slow and steady? Get the average, but make it the lowest cost possible. So he designed, he's considered the father of the index fund and launched his first index fund in 1975. The index fund is a combination of stocks. So the more common one is the S&P 500. It's 500 companies that you're investing into all 500 of them. So kind of, it spreads out your risk. It's the ultimate diversification and it's really, really easy to manage. And so John Bogle felt that the average slow and steady, simplicity, lowest cost would win this race. And math has shown us over the time, over the last 40 something years, it actually has outperformed investors and money managers. Then 1979 happened. And that was a cool year because a guy named Ted Benna was researching an IRS code called the 401k. The 401k, a lot of people don't realize is just an IRS code that explains that you can put in deferred tax money, let it compound and then get taxed later on. So Ted Benna was a good man because he, he noticed that only about one third of Americans had pensions and two thirds of Americans who didn't have any retirement planning at all or any access to you know any type of retirement plan that was simplified because it's kind of complicated to have retirement planning. So here's how it works. First, you choose to be a part of the plan. And by so doing, you choose to elect a portion of your paycheck, usually a percentage of your paycheck, uh, each each week or each two weeks that is taken from your paycheck and put into the 401k plan. It also allows for a business to match that, you know, to contribute also deferring the tax or get tax write-offs from it. That contribution plus 
there the employer match is put into your investment. And over time, you're hoping that investment continues to grow for you. And that that is what would someone consider your nest egg. As that continues to grow and grow, then when you get to your retirement age, that's at the point that you're looking to now take that money and live on it. Using data from the last 35 years of returns in the S&P 500, if you started in 1984, using today's average household income of $50,000 a year, contributing 6% of your salary and receiving a 3% company match for a total of $4,500 each year into your 401k plan, your balance after 35 years would be approximately $818,000. At this point, you will be withdrawing money to live on and the industry accepted safe withdrawal rate is 4%. At 4%, you will be able to withdraw $32,700. Then Uncle Sam will take his cut in the form of income taxes, which, using today's rate of 12%, means that after tax, your $818,000 balance will produce you an annual retirement income of $28,800. Now here's the sad truth. The average 401k balance for Americans aged 60 to 69 is $182,100. The after-tax income on that balance would be approximately $6,500 a year. Everyone ends up poor. I wrestled at Arizona State University. I was on scholarship there. I love wrestling. I'm an athlete. I was a three-sport athlete in high school, and then I went to ASU to wrestle there. I was in the School of Business over at Arizona State. I was down in a basement one time playing ping pong with one of my friends and his older brother came downstairs and his older brother said, guys, we should totally start a granite company. And I said, dude, I just got an $8,000 scholarship check. I'll totally invest in that. What's granite? And everyone laughed and I'm like, I'd never met someone with granite. I became extremely in love with natural stone, granite countertops, quartz countertops, marble, all the different things that it fascinated me on how natural stone worked and how you could polish it and make it pretty and all this other stuff. And so after about six months, I decided I wanted to start a granite company. The other guys kind of fizzled out. That's what most people do is they have ideas and then they don't capitalize on them or they don't, they don't work them. And I didn't fizzle out, I became obsessed with it, literally obsessed with granite countertops. And started researching on how kitchens are designed, how cabinets work, layout, standard things, and, and end up designing a product called a prefabricated countertop, which hadn't been really introduced to the United States yet, and is how you pre-cut granite and bring it in in certain stock sizes and be able to install it much more efficiently inside of a kitchen. And it was my advantage because we imported all these pre-cut pieces on different sizes and we were able to install kitchens really quickly and make a lot of money off of them and still be less than everyone else in the market. So we grew our kitchen, our, our kitchen business from two kitchens a week to 20 kitchens a week in less than one year. I was 23 years old, making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, and I didn't even know what to do with it. But as things went on, I, I matured and I understood. I lent a lot of people money. I lost a lot of money on stupid investments. I was just like, hey, I'll invest in anything. I'm an entrepreneur, that's what I do. No one ever teaches us how to keep money and save money. Uh, Curtis has a story that he'll tell people that I like to shove money away and, and save money. And when we were first married and we did a ton of granite work and we made a ton of money in a short period of time, I would stash cash away under the mattress type of a thing. And one day I came to him and I was like, so 
I may have stashed too much money. And when I told him, he flipped out. He was like, what? You're hiding this money from me? I'm like, it's our savings. But since that, I took that money, put it in a savings account, and we just saved it. And he, every day, he's like, so I have a new business idea. Can I take that money? No, you cannot have that money. It's our savings. As time went on over the next 10 years, I grew this business and I met uh, an investor. He was one of my clients and he said, Curtis, what impedes you from not being a 20 or $50 million business? Why are you capped out at like 5 million? And I said, because I love to do everything by myself. I'm just a, a one man show. I'll just go do my thing. And he goes, let's take this business, your ideas, your concepts, your understanding of efficiencies and how kitchens are designed, and let's turn this into a really big business. And as an entrepreneur, the first thing I said is, ooh, make more money. That's what I like to do. Let's, let's do that. And I formed a 50-50 partnership with this investor. It went so well. Like we went from 5 million to 10 million in less than 12 months. We were doing 60 kitchens a week. Everything was going crazy. We were making so much money. And then Armageddon happened. Every business goes through this. What happened was is that sometimes a uh, business happens and you have partnership disputes or lawsuits or this or that. There's a million things that happen in business. Mine was a partnership dispute. I was very involved in the granite business, still involved in the granite business. It was devastating. I mean, we had worked so hard and so long to build this great thing and it just took, um, unfortunately, a partner to destroy it to disagree with us. It, it, it was it was devastating because this was a business I'd built for 10 years. It was my baby. I loved it. It was everything I did. I was working it 14, 16 hour days and it's what I love to do. So it wasn't work. It was never work. And when we had our division and threats start happening and lawyers got involved very quickly, accounts were frozen but I still had clients and I loved my clients and I loved my employees and I did everything I could to make sure that the business was taken care of. So I started paying money out of pocket, using my reserves to making sure the business was floated over this, this time frame. And um, that day happened, November 1st of 2014, I realized I ran out of money. My business that I had created for 10 years was being taken from me. It was the worst night of my life. It was, it was Halloween night, I remember very quickly. I took the kids out trick-or-treating went back to the house, put them to bed, and I didn't sleep that night. And it felt, I don't even know how to describe it because it was that moment where it's like everything I did for 10 straight years was gone. I went in there to the granite company to see if we could buy it back um, from our investor. And uh, just looking at the books and what had gone on and um, there's just no way to save it. And we decided to let it go. Uh, and we lost a ton of money. Went from a lot of money in my bank account to almost nothing. Married five kids, no job, no business. What am I gonna do now? So when the company crashed and we lost everything, um, I said, it's time to pull out that savings. We've gotta start a new business. And he's like, we are young. We can do this. If this happened when we were 60, it, um, it would have been devastating for us because to start over at 60, you just don't have the energy to do it. And so, although I had $11,000 in my bank, no business, married with five kids, I, I'm a purebred. It, it didn't scare me. It was actually kind of exciting that I could, I could do all the things I love to do and eliminate the things I, I learned over time that were just part of the business. And so, once my non-compete expired, 
we restarted the business and within less than one year, we were, I made more money in 2015 than I made in any other, any other year previous of that. More money in 2016 than 15, 17, more than 16. We built up our, our business again. Luckily our name was still out there. People knew who we were, knew we did good work, uh, honest work, and we were able to build it. Um, really, really fast. And people say, wow, that's a terrible, terrible story. And I said, no, that was the best day of my life because that was the day I decided I would never, ever, ever not understand how money works. I was gonna become the world's expert on not how you make money, because anyone can teach you how to make money, but how you keep money and how you optimize and make that money extremely efficient for you. So after the business fiasco, I realized we can't rely on our businesses anymore. He decided to just dive into research. Um, him and his brother had dabbled into um, what's considered MPI right now. So I met Curtis five years ago when he came into our, our brokerage to talk about what they had discovered in a life insurance contract. Curtis actually had his own life insurance and it was asking questions and trying to explore ways that he could optimize the performance of it. Um, and they actually came in and presented to us an idea that they had that was the foundation of what eventually became MPI. In 1999, something really cool happened in the retirement space. And that's the insurance world decided they wanted to make a product that had security built into compound interest. And so they designed a product called an indexed universal life. And the indexed universal life, although it had its flaws to it, had a very special feature and that's called the 0% floor. This 0% floor is where you have no risk to down markets. You're able to get a good rate of return, a good compound interest, but they make sure that you're protected. So it has a zero floor, meaning every single year, no matter what happens to the stock market, you can't lose. And what maximum premium indexing is, is the ability to leverage securely. Uh, what's interesting about that is I turned them away. I said, there's too many problems with this idea. And, and I presented sort of the holes in the, in the thought process. There's no way two guys out of Mesa, Arizona produce something bigger and better than what I do every day over the last 20 years. You have a bunch of flaws in this system. And maybe if you can fix those flaws, it might work. When I do that, typically these, these people who come to me with ideas, they disappear, right? They don't go fix the problems. They just take it as a challenge and, and they walk away from it. So for the next four years, my brother and I went at it and we addressed all the flaws in the first version of the MPI concept. I kept in contact with Eric through LinkedIn. Every six months or so, I'd send him a message. Hey, I'm gonna fix all the flaws. Don't forget about me. I will finish this. Then on November 5th of 2017, I called him up and said, Eric, it's done. I got a phone call and he said, I've corrected everything that you talked about. Are you ready to change the world? I thought at one point I had figured everything out there was to figure out about Index Universal Life and I considered myself to be very educated on the subject, but MPI took that to a whole nother level. And, and it's unique in that it's addressed a lot of the things that we saw being somewhat problematic with IULs too, because everything you do for retirement has some element of risk to it, right? So with life insurance, there's, there's a cost for the insurance component. You're buying a life insurance contract. So you have a little bit of an element of risk in terms of what that cost could be. Um, so what MPI did is it, it started plugging some of those holes to where we can sustain you know, uh, low years or low return years for a longer period of time and have the same 
positive net results that we hope to have in the first place had we not had 0% returns in, in these products. And so MPI, again, it was, it was something that opened my eyes up to what you can really do with these products and, and these contracts to maximize the value for the consumer. Once I broke down to Eric how we corrected all the concerns with the first version of the MPI system, he wanted to see it for himself. He didn't believe me at first. He told me that's impossible, Curtis. So I got in my car, drove to his office, and one by one explained the solutions to the various flaws. He took some time to fact check it and confirm the math as I had just made the claim I had cracked the code to the retirement planning and how you achieve the exponential growth curve. So after some due diligence and a few choice swear words, he said, we are legitimately going to change the world, Curtis. And I said, yes, we are. At that moment, he looked at me and said, anything you need, support, staff, actuaries, it's at your disposal. MPI has a, an undeniable advantage over a 401k or even a traditionally overfunded index universal life insurance contract because the idea of exponential growth applies everywhere except for the fact that life insurance specifically eliminates a negative number in that math equation. So exponential growth is really good in any type of vehicle you save with but if you can take a loss or a negative number in terms of a return, then that's gonna dramatically impact that math equation, right? So life insurance as a whole, index universal life insurance, has this 0% floor, which automatically gives it an advantage for exponential growth, because instead of taking a loss, you just have a flat line in that year, and you keep growing from that point forward. So there's an obvious advantage. MPI compared to traditional overfunded index universal life as an additional advantage for exponential growth, because what we're doing is actually every several years stepping up the contract by leveraging leverage, if there's, if, for lack of a better definition, right? So if we leverage leverage, then we're squeezing out additional rates of return. And the internal rate of return on your money is then maximized at that point. So exponential growth has the most capability of performing for you in an MPI strategy compared to virtually everything else that, that you could choose from. Using the same data of the last 35 years of returns in the S&P 500, now applying the 6% of your salary to the MPI system, your balance would be approximately $919,000. At this point, your account will generate approximately $125,000 of annual retirement income. Usually, Uncle Sam would take his cut in the form of income tax, but because the MPI is a post-tax system, Uncle Sam takes nothing, allowing you to keep the full $125,000. So exponential growth is the ability to compound your interest time over time over time, right? And there's value in compounded interest. But if your math equation for compounded interest has a negative number, so let's say the market goes down one year and you're exposed to that loss, then that's obviously gonna dramatically impact the value of exponential growth. MPI eliminates that from happening, allowing you not only to take advantage of exponential growth, i.e. compounded interest time over time, but it takes away the negative numbers, takes away the negative impact of market downturns. So your exponential growth is essentially supercharged. Which is completely opposite of the way the financial system works out there today. So when you try to say how much better is it, it's, it's almost hard to quantify. And when you're able to accomplish that, there's really no ceiling. It just depends on how much you're able to contribute, how much that compound interest can really take off, and then when you introduce the leverage uh, element of it, it starts to multiply beyond anything that, that the traditional system can offer. So when people ask me how do you achieve exponential growth or what I call sustainable wealth, I say you have to understand and abide by the rules that govern exponential growth. There are five of them. 
you have to do all of them and you have to do them in order. And if you try to bypass or change the order of the rules, you cannot achieve the pure exponential growth curve. The first rule of wealth is pay yourself first. You are the first person that needs to benefit from your hard work. Exponential growth cannot be achieved without this first step. If what you pay yourself is zero, your wealth equation is zero every single time. That's why I'm opposed to paying down your mortgage fast or focusing on paying other people your money. The second rule of wealth is start today. The number one regret baby boomers have is they did not start financial planning earlier. Starting right now is a rule of wealth, no excuses. The third rule of wealth is protect your money, never lose. Loss and risk are enemies to sustainable wealth. In traditional investing, you hear the phrase, no risk, no reward. This is where most others fell because risk is contrary to exponential growth. In order to achieve true reward of exponential growth, security must be the cornerstone. The fourth rule of wealth is compound interest. Einstein called compound interest the eighth one of the world. He who understands it earns it. Compound interest is money making money for you by itself. It will work for you every day, producing wealth for the rest of your life if you let it. Traditionally, a good investment will produce the exponential growth curve in around 40 to 60 years. We don't have that much time. As a result, most people will not enjoy the full benefits of their savings and investments because it takes too long to mature. So this is what sets MPI apart from all the other financial strategies. The fifth rule of wealth, secure leverage. Using other resources and money to accelerate the compounding interest while maintaining security as the cornerstone. So if you pay yourself first, starting today, in a compounding system built inside of security, and then supercharge your money through the MPI Secure Leverage feature, only through this can exponential growth and sustainable wealth be achieved in as little as 10 years previously thought of as impossible. So the average consumer out there is overwhelmed with facts and numbers and spreadsheets. Um, but, but the reality is all you have to do is really get to know somebody and customize those solutions to them. And, and right now I think that that's the opportunity for people like Curtis Ray and, and myself who are looking to really get down and dirty, so to speak, with individual consumers, teach them what they need to know about retirement. If a consumer is properly educated, they're gonna find that ensuring their retirement is far more important than just stashing money away in a 401k. So my ultimate goal is to go to the world and say this is exponential growth. Here's how you achieve it, make that decision, and go get it. What is retirement? You worked 40 years of your life. You were told that if you invest into a 401k or IRA, you'd be able to retire. The golden years are here. You finally earned it. You have $500,000 in this account, and you go to your financial advisor, and you ask him, what is my retirement income? And he tells you $20,000 a year. What do you do now? 